0: What's up everybody, this is Daniel Atando. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in, let's get started. All right, good morning, good morning everybody, it's so great to have you, Kayla, it's not a funny video, it is art, okay, <laughs> that was a creative video, okay, Brendan, I got your back um it was art all right it's a little bit abstract but it was meaningful but we appreciate you so much being here today my name is daniel i'm the lead pastor and uh, we're just pumped that you're here with us this morning on father's day i love father's day and this is one truth about dads is that there is no such thing as a perfect father but i am so thankful for our present fathers because it is, it is so meaningful to have that influence in our lives and all around the world. And so we're grateful that in some way uh, we see dads serving and influencing the type of community that we are here at Eden Church. And we're very, very grateful for that. And I want to say in a special, just a special thank you and gratitude to the fathers who are Warriors fans who still came to church this morning. Because some of you prayed hard this week. I'm not even like a huge, huge Warriors fan. And I accidentally prayed that the Warriors would win. So I don't know where my heart was at in all of this, but I'm glad that you're here this morning. We've been praying for you for the last few days because we know that you're experiencing some serious heartache in your life as a result of the final series. But if this is your first time with us, we are really, really glad that you're here with us this morning because like Kayla said, it is a big step to walk into a place like this, and we're so proud that you would be here with us this morning. And so I want to personally invite you. I'll be standing outside the doors at the Connect Center after service. I'd love to get a chance to meet you and shake your hand, get your name. And most importantly, we'd love to give you a gift as a thank you for being here with us this morning because we don't ever want you to leave Eden empty-handed because we're grateful for you and grateful for the decision you made. Today, we're continuing in the series that we started a few weeks ago called Flying with a Unicorn. And if you haven't been here this morning, you have no, if you haven't been to the series yet, you have no, no idea what this is about, and, and that was semi-intentional. Part of it was that we were still working on some of the details as we titled this series, but it's been one of the funnest series that we've done, and for us, it's been an opportunity for us to step into the life of Jesus, And the way that we've defined a unicorn in this context is that a unicorn is something that is valuable, it is significant, but it's also distinct. Distinct enough that it's beginning to disrupt a certain industry where a person or an organization is disrupting the way that things have operated for a long time. And when we look at the life of Jesus, those three descriptions describe his ministry perfectly, that Jesus was disrupting the religious system of his day. And we love that because Jesus was sort of this generational force that we saw transforming things. And so much of what Jesus did, so much of his impact was a result of the way that he saw the world around him. And one of the things that we've realized is that if we can change the way that we see things, we'll change the way that we think. And if we can change the way that we think, we'll change our habits. And if we change our habits, we are going to see life ch- transformation happen right before our eyes. And so that's what this series has really been all about. This opportunity for us to embrace the way that Jesus sees the world. To grab hold of Jesus' perspective in our world. And it's been awesome. It's been awesome. In week one, week one, we talked about the fact that Jesus sees more in us than we see in ourselves. A lot of us here today may define the value of our, la- our, of our life based on our past. We may define who we are based on maybe past mistakes. This morning, we had someone from our team say, hey, I know someone who knows you from high school. And I got real scared. I said, uh, which person is that? And they said their name and I didn't recognize it. So that, to me, knows, reminds, lets me know that I didn't get in trouble with that person. But so much of how we evaluate our life is dictated by our past. And what's crazy is that sometimes if we've defined our past by our failures, then we define our future by our failures as well. And we limit the capacity of what God wants to do in our life because of past failures. But what we learned is that that's not how God sees us. God doesn't see us from that perspective. In fact, if you were a follower of Jesus, we read that actually God sees you as the light of the world. You are the hope of the world. That you are his solution to the darkness and the discouragement that exists in our generation. And I hope that at least at some point throughout this series, you would begin to embrace who God created you to be, that you are not a failure, but in fact, you are the hope of the world. You are the solution. You are God's answer to what is happening in our world. Last week, the second week of this series, we talked about the fact that God sees our enemies as more valuable than we do, that God sees in our enemies or the people that annoy us, or the people that frustrate us, or the people that bother us, whoever they are, the people who have different ideological views than you do, those people who in your mind you think you're better than, we challenge you. We said, actually, Jesus sees them with as much value as he sees you. And that's why Jesus told us, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Because that person who may be in your mind you're done with, God's at work in. And what he told us is that that just because we may have devalued their life doesn't mean that they're any less valuable in God's eyes. And so we've learned that God sees in us more than we see in ourselves. God sees in our enemies more than we see in them. And this morning, we're going to talk about the heart of a hero maker. We're going to talk about the heart of a hero maker, and I'll explain a little bit more of that as we go further on but about a month ago I had an opportunity to be a part of a wedding and it was a beautiful wedding it was amazing the location was wonderful the people were wonderful everything was beautiful and I was impressed with so much of what was happening on this day but maybe one thing that I was extremely impressed with was, what was the photographer this lady was amazing I mean I had never seen someone with such a great attitude and trying to make everything work for this couple. I remember she was running through the rain, she was grabbing an umbrella, she was running through the grass, she was organizing her assistant, she was kind of getting our kids in place, making sure they weren't breaking anything in this <laughs> beautiful house. And, uh, and I was so impressed by her, she was amazing. And I was even more impressed when she finally started taking pictures. Because I remember she like had us set up in this beautiful looking mansion And she wanted to make sure that the lighting was perfect. She made sure that we were all positioned in the right place. I mean, she was like telling us, me like how to swivel my hips and like put my foot out, stick my chin out, get my shoulder in the right direction. It was so impressive. And what I loved about her was that she cared so much about the details of how the pictures were going to turn out. And I began to like observe and like kind of think about this attitude. And I thought this woman has the posture to position these people, the, the bride and groom who are getting married, she wants them to look as good as they can in this moment. Every, that, served, that was her entire purpose for being there that morning. And I thought, I think that that is how God wants his people to look. That I think God wants us to be the type of people that are less concerned about our own glory and more concerned about helping other people become everything that God created them to be. Because we live in a culture right now where so much of our energy is going toward building our own brand. Making people think that we have life so that we're living this beautiful, successful, wonderful life. A life to be admired by other people. But I think that sometimes when we look at scripture, and I'm not saying that it's bad to do things well. I'm not saying it's bad to achieve great things. Because I think there's such a thing as godly ambition. But I think sometimes we have become the center of our worlds. And I'm not sure that's entirely God's plan for our life. And so this morning we're going to look at a passage that helps us to understand the heart of a hero maker. And a hero maker is someone who has given their life to helping others find their purpose. It is someone who has ordered their life, they have used their resources to help other people become who God created them to become. And so we're going to be looking in the New Testament this morning will be in the Gospel of John. It's one of the four mini-biographies of Jesus' life in the New Testament. And what's cool about the Gospel of John is that John was one of Jesus' closest friends. And so what we know is that about 90% of the content that is in the book of John doesn't exist in any of the other three Gospel accounts. And what's also interesting is that John was a creative, and I love that. Because John doesn't just give us information about the life of Jesus, but he slowly paints this picture of the nuances of Jesus' life. So he doesn't just tell us detailed information, he actually helps us to understand the significance of all the details in Jesus' life. And so it's this wonderful, powerful book in the Bible. And so we've been going through it over the last several weeks as we've been looking at this series, Flying with a Unicorn. And this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at Jesus imparting some knowledge to his people. Because Jesus was at this point in his ministry where he realized he was coming to an end. It wasn't the end, but he was coming to an end. I was in an airplane yesterday, and uh, every time you're about to land, they give you a heads up. They let you know that you're on the descent, right? Like you're descending, and you can kind of feel the shift in the mood in the airplane as it's descending. That's sort of what's happening in Jesus' ministry because there was someone on his team who was scheming against him his name was Judas and Judas had reached out to some of the religious leaders of the day and they began a planning an attack to arrest Jesus now what Judas may not have known is that these men were planning to kill Jesus but Jesus knew it Jesus knew that at this point it was the beginning of the end of his ministry and there were still a few things that he wanted his top leaders to understand and so this is the beginning of those types of conversations that Jesus is having with his leaders. And so it begins in John chapter 13 verse 4 and 5. It says so he got up from the table. He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. So this would have been crazy for a number of different reasons. Number 1, it was gross. It was absolutely gross. In that time, people wore open-toed shoes, right? And so your feet were literally, not fake literally, were actually literally, 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 the dirtiest part of your body. You were walking around dirt. Paved roads weren't like a thing as common in today's society. And so you were working, walking on do- uh, dirt. Dirt? I don't know. I don't even know how to play that off. Um But you were walking on dirt, and in this time, you had animals' feces all over the ground. So you were stepping on poo and pee, and your feet were absolutely disgusting. There was dirt underneath your nails. There were like clumps of old dead skin accumulating on each of your toes. It was disgusting. I hope I'm grossing some people out. That was the intention. Like manicures were not a thing in that time. And so after this meal, they're eating like this delicious, wonderful meal. Jesus decides in his mind, he thinks, what, what, what would be like the appropriate thing to do after eating a wonderful, beautiful meal? Let me touch these disgusting feet. <laughs> and so Jesus submits himself in this way. And he lowers himself, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, this wasn't something that Jesus made up. It actually had significance in the culture. In the Old Testament, the priest, before he entered into the temple, which is where the presence of God was, he would wash his feet. And the symbolism is that he was cleaning himself in preparation to be in the presence of God. And so what Jesus was doing in this moment is he was sort of preparing these guys (coughs) He was washing their feet. He was cleansing them. He was being the conduit in which they would enter into the presence of God. It was a symbol of that relationship. And so it was meaningful. But not only was it meaningful, it would have been shocking. It would have been shocking because in the Old Testament, a priest would never wash the feet of his servant. The servants always wash the feet of the priest. And so Jesus was sort of instituting, instituting this brand new model of leadership called servant leadership, where he was serving the people beneath him. But there, was not, there wasn't a model for this during this time. And so everybody involved in this moment was probably really embarrassed. And we see that come out in these next verses, in verses uh, John 13, 16 through 8. It says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And this was a sarcastic question. Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And so what we know about Peter is that Peter was the Draymond Green of all the apostles, okay? He was always kind of outspoken, always kind of a little bit louder than the rest of the guy, always a little bit uncontrolled with his emotions. And Peter was also a traditionalist. And that meant that so much of what defined... uh, I almost said Draymond Green. So much of what defined... Peter's personality was that it was tied to his tradition. And you'll see that there's a pattern of this all throughout the New Testament where there are moments where Peter is maybe having a dream and a vision comes to him from God and God is telling him, hey, I want you to go chase and eat down this certain type of food. And Peter says, actually, God, I don't eat eat unclean food. And God's saying, you don't ever call anything unclean that I have deemed clean. And so he's this traditionalist. So much of this cultural tradition in his life has defined how he operates. And, and tradition is fine. In fact, it's beautiful until it is something that is man-made and something that keeps you from becoming all that God wanted you to become. And so this was sort of what's happening in Peter's life, that he was submitting himself to a tradition that God never told him to live under. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And sometimes that happens in our life, right? Where there are practices, there are external things in our life where we sense that maybe God is asking us to take a step of faith, but maybe there's a fear or maybe there's a voice where someone's saying, oh, I saw what you were doing last week. What on earth do you think you have to do serving on a team at Eden? Or you go to church? I wish all your church friends would hear the conversations you were having with your friends at work. Aren't there the voices sometimes when we feel like maybe God is prompting us to take a new step in our faith? All these voices are sort of speaking into the negative, saying, you can't do that. There are these external forces in our life that sometimes keep us from doing what God wants. And we see that happening with Peter. He was submitting himself to the tradition of that time. But what's also interesting is we see Jesus' response, where Jesus says, Peter, you need what I have for you. You need everything I have for you. And if you do not receive this, you have no part in me. Part of it was Jesus knew that Peter himself had to experience the grace that Jesus wanted to see Peter extending to other people. And if we never experience that grace ourselves, it's going to be very, very hard for us to convince other people that it's real. If we've never experienced the love of God or the grace of God, it's going to be hard for us to tell other people about that love. But see, what happens sometimes is that we limit our growth. We limit the faith that God wants to see in our life because sometimes when God calls us into something else, we tell him no. God calls us to take a step of faith. Maybe he's calling you to get baptized or leading you to get baptized, or maybe he wants you to join a group or join a team, or maybe he wants you to tell someone about your newfound faith at work, whatever it is. These are all opportunities that God places before us, but the more often that we tell God no in those moments, the less we begin to hear his voice over time. Maybe God asks us in one season of our life, one sphere of our life to be faithful, and we say, God, I don't know. I'm a little bit Scared today, and we shut the window of opportunity. And then another time, God is knocking at the door of our hearts. He's giving us an opportunity to step in faith, and we shut the door of that opportunity. And over time, we have closed every single window in our house. And all of a sudden, someday, we think, man, the sun doesn't shine anymore. But it's actually not that the sun is there, but we have just closed off every part of our life that was open to letting the sun in. And sometimes that happens with our faith is that we become conditioned. And maybe there was a time in our life where we said yes to God at every season and we saw like this great season of growth, but then we got busy, lives got crazy, and we started just saying no to those opportunities that God was placing in front of us. And all God wanted to do for this group is he wanted them to know what it was like to lower yourself, to help others become everything that God intended for them to become. And he explains it a little bit more in John 13, chapter 12 through 15. uh, John 13, verses 12 through 15. It says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down, and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus is saying, if you call me master, if you call me Lord, if you call me teacher, that means that I am the model that you were to follow. And he's saying, I want you to follow me in this one thing. Is that I want you to be the type of person that positions your life to help other people become everything that God created them to be. I want you to be the type of person that is helping people achieve their goals. And most importantly, I want you to be the kind of person that is helping people find their purpose in life. That is so much of what is part of our DNA, is helping people to step into that process. And I know that that probably sounds really appealing to almost no one here, right? (laughs) Like, I'm going to give my time... And I'm going to give my money and I'm going to give my resources and I'm going to give my energy to helping people become everything that God wanted them to become. And the first question that comes to mind what about me? Right? What about us? Who's investing in me? I'm so busy trying to build my own brand, I don't have time to help other people. Sometimes that's sort of the natural thought process that happens when we're asked to give to someone else i was in this conference uh this week and i felt that we were all worshiping jesus everyone had their hands up everyone was singing it was wonderful right we love you jesus and then there was a part of the conference where they said hey we want to give you an opportunity to be generous i was like what (laughs) i thought this was about jesus why are we talking about being generous and why are we talking about me being generous first and foremost But there is like this guttural reaction, right? When we talk about giving of ourselves to other people. But what we have to understand is that when Jesus talks about serving other people, what he's talking about is sacrifice. He is talking about giving up your life. And part of why we don't understand this, and part of why it's so difficult and so unpalatable for us, is because God operates from a different economy. The kingdom of God operates in a different way. And what the Bible tells us, And there's a lot of these types of things that Scripture talks about, but it tells us that when we give, we actually receive in the process. The Bible tells us that those who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. The Bible tells us, Jesus says, that the lowly will be exalted. And so for us, it's really sort of this shift of mentality That we've got to begin looking at sacrifice in a different way. Not as though we are giving away something that we'll never get back, but actually we are creating space for God to provide more for us. Because that is one thing that I have learned in my relationship with God, is that you cannot outgive God. You cannot give more than God can give you. Now, it may not always turn into money, but what is most important is not what we're achieving, but who we're becoming in this relationship and on the journey of faith. Sometimes we become hoarders with the blessings that God has given us. And it's kind of an interesting picture to think about, right? Because blessings seem like these good little things. But the problem is that a blessing in one season of life was not meant to sustain you at every season of life. Amen. And that's so true. Like if you want, and, I'm, and we're not making fun of anyone because this is a serious condition. But if you've watched some of these hoarder shows, you see that a lot of times their houses are filled and packed full of junky things, right? It's not necessarily anything significant. It may be like this handbag that they bought at a store, but it becomes so valuable that they can't give it up. And they think that hanging on to these blessings, these little things, is actually going to make them happy, but it doesn't. Because what happens is you are clinging to a blessing that was never meant to sustain you for a long period of time. And what God wants our pattern to be is to receive the blessing, give the blessing. And what that does is it frees you up to receive another blessing, give another blessing. Receive another blessing, give another blessing. Receive another blessing, give another blessing. But what happens is we cling to these little blessings... And other things that God wants to pour out in our lives, we don't have enough room to grab hold of. And so we're clinging to the same blessing that we've had for 10 or 15 years, and we've never seen growth take place in our life. When Jesus is talking about service, he's talking about sacrifice. And I love that this account gives us a picture of what it looks like to be a hero maker of what it looks like to develop habits in our life, what it looks like to have a heart to help people become everything that God created them to be. The first thing that we see is that we have to get personal. We have to get personal. It is so hard for us to thrive in our life without a community of people that we're connected to. We were built for community. We were built connected to other people. We were built to be united with one another. And sometimes in our culture, maybe the natural thing is to isolate ourselves from other people if we've been hurt by them. I don't know if you've ever felt that, right? Like you've had conflict with a friend and then all of a sudden you're not texting or emailing them funny jokes or memes as often as you were before, right? You start distancing yourself. And isolation is an attempt to protect yourself from one type of pain, But the problem is that you lead yourself into another type of pain. So it may protect you from one part of your life, but it's going to lead you into an area of your life that you're not prepared for as well. And so God has called us to be personal. And I love that that is so true of Jesus' ministry, that he didn't isolate himself from people, but he stepped into people's spaces. He was next to people, so much so that he was willing to wash their dirty feet we've got to get personal. Secondly, we've got to get messy. That is just the bottom line. And I'm going to quote a great philosopher from the ancient world, Biggie Smalls. You may have heard of him before, but he said these really powerful words, the more money I come upon, the more problems I see. That's what I'm talking about. But that is so true with relationships. The more that we enter into relationships, the more that we try to help people become what God created them to be, it is going to be a messy process. It is messy. It is dirty. It is frustrating. It can sometimes be overwhelming, but that's what it means to be a hero maker, that you're the type of person who knowingly will walk into that space because you know that that life is worth helping to redeem. So we have to get messy. And finally, we have to get low. We have to get low. And I love the picture of Jesus' posture in this moment. That Jesus, though he was their leader, lowered himself for their sake. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that we ought to consider others as more important than ourselves. To view other people's lives is more valuable and more significant than our own because until we do that, we will not have a heart to help people. We will not have a vision to believe that people can become better than what they are. We have to lower ourselves. Jesus' view of service was always tied to sacrifice. I love what he says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. This entire scene that Jesus is interacting with this group of people is a picture of the good news of Jesus. It is a picture of the love that he has always had for every person. That he would come to us in our most filthy state, when we have been wrecked by shame, when our lives have been full of guilt. When every night we go to bed thinking about regrets that we have made, perhaps the destructive relationships that we've caused in our life, and Jesus comes into that dirty, messy, personal, lowly place, and he grabs his own towel, his own body, and he begins to clean up our mess. And it's not that he's wiping that dirt off of your feet onto the ground, but he's taking it on as his own. He is becoming filthy for our sake. That is the love of God. That no matter how messy, no matter how dirty, no matter how far, no matter how distant we have become with God, is that we are only one prayer away. No matter how far into the forest of despair we have gone, He will come and find us. He will be that light in your life. And I don't know where you're at in this space, Because you know what's crazy is that we can't see people's problems on their face. But God can see it in your heart. And some of you walked into this space with a heavy heart. You've walked into this space with some scars on your heart that have been building up for years. Maybe they came from your childhood, maybe came from work this last week. But you have come into this place with a heavy heart. And you're searching. You're searching for some resolve. You're searching for some answers. You're searching for purpose in your life. And so much of how you are operating in this world is as a result of the pain that you've experienced in your past. And it's so hard for us to think about how we could possibly help someone else when we're living in a place of pain. But that's exactly why Jesus died. He died on the cross. He sacrificed his life so that he can bring you to a place of healing in the presence of God. You know, it's really interesting. I've had the opportunity to be a part of a lot of funerals, officiating them. And when you're a part of something regularly, you begin to pick up on some patterns. And what I've realized is that, man, there are some wonderful funerals if I can say that. Like there are some funerals where it is almost a celebration. Like people are celebrating a life well lived. They're celebrating it. It's a beautiful thing. And I love being a part of these funerals. We call it actually a celebration of life because you have a community of people that have been touched and affected by the power of a person's life. But the worst funerals to be a part of is where someone has died and they have lived their lives for themselves. And no, it doesn't matter if their mom is at the funeral, their brother's at the funeral, their friends are at the funeral, they almost have nothing nice to say about this person. Sometimes they talk about how they're funny. But when you are at a funeral where someone has lived their life in sacrifice for other people, there are stories after story after story, after story, how that person came to them in a time of need. How that person was a support to them in a time where they were desperate. And it's like you realize that we are who we are to everyone. We don't just serve some people and don't serve other people. If we're connected, we, that is who we are. And this morning, I want to try to encourage you. That if your life is only invested in your own well-being, you will never find the happiness that you're looking for. But happiness is usually the result of a life of sacrifice, a life of generosity to other people, a life where you have given yourself to help people become something more than they could become on their own. And so one of the challenges I want to give you this week is to ask yourself this question. What... Am I investing my life in? And one of the two ways, two best ways that you can know that, you know, sometimes we're harder on other people because we judge them based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions. And one of the ways that you can kind of evaluate your life, not on your intentions, but on your actions, is to look at two things to look at your bank account and to look at your calendar. And to just begin asking this question what am I investing my life into? What am I giving my life toward? And then to ask a second question. Does my investment align with my values? At the end of my life, what I'm investing, it does, is what I'm investing now what I want to be remembered for? Is what I'm giving my life to now what I want to be remembered for at my funeral? Is this what I want people to be talking about me? Is this the legacy that I want to live? And if the answer is no, then you can know that it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, today we can begin with a fresh start, a fresh foundation where you begin a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you have never asked Jesus to come into your life and you've kind of been wandering in this season, wandering in life year after year, season after season, relationship after relationship, still feeling like you have no grounding or foundation for why you do what you do, I want to give you an opportunity to anchor your life to the heart of God this morning. And so this morning, if that's you, and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your your eyes. And if this is where you're at this morning, you can just repeat after me in your heart, that you want to begin this relationship. And so go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads. If today you want to begin that relationship, you can pray after me. Dear God, I thank you for the love that you have for me. When I wanted nothing to do with you, you pursued me and you loved me to the point where you would send your son to die for me and to cleanse me of all the things in my life that have been outside of your plan. I thank you, and I love you. And today, God, I want to follow you I want to understand my life through your perspective. Today, I surrender my heart to you. In Jesus' name, I believe.